Welcome to the Sex Cafe podcast. Policy has important implications in our everyday life. Today, we're going to talk about policy and how does it affect our everyday lives and sexual and reproductive health specifically. We're going to hear from Representative Anna Escamani from the Florida House of Representatives and Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith from the Florida House of Representatives as well. Let's get started with Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith, who joined me at the studio. I'm going to let him introduce himself and the work he does for the district and the community he represents. Thank you for having me. So this is great to be here on the east side in Research Park near UCF. So I'm Carlos Guillermo Smith. I represent East Orlando in the Florida House of Representatives. That includes Waterford Lakes, UCF Research Park, Lake Pickett, Union Park, this whole area out here on the east side. And it was elected in 2016, re-elected in 18 and 20. And when voters sent me to Tallahassee in 2016. They also made history by electing the first openly LGBTQ Latino in our state's history, which is really, really cool. And I knew when I was elected that representation for our community mattered. And I just didn't realize over the years until now how much it would matter, especially during these times that we're going through right now. And that is fascinating to hear because that gets us right on point to get started. People often think that policy and politics are the same. How are they similar? How are they different? What should people take away from these two concepts? Right. Well, I mean, the 10,000 foot view here, you know, the politics is what we see and I roll at and hear every single day on cable news, you know, the bickering back and forth between the two parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, you know, who's up, who's down, who's focusing on which issue, why are they focusing on it? Are they pandering? Are they not pandering? Are they actually serving their communities and their constituents? When we get to policy, this is how the politics themselves are actually implemented, how they work in the real world, what happens, for example, in our classrooms, and what is the impact on our students and our teachers and the communities when a bill like, for example, the Don't Say Gay bill is signed into law. Now, the politics we heard so much about around that bill for sure, but now what is the policy impact What does it mean for how visible LGBTQ people are in the schools? What does it mean if they're not visible? Who is harmed by that? Who benefits from that? Are kids actually getting a better education as a result? These are all policy implications at the end of politics. So if I heard you correctly then, and and as a way to summarize for our listeners, politics will take into account that original philosophy of where you stand and how you defend it, but policy indeed becomes and how do you operationalize? How do you make those philosophies into an everyday, day-to-day operation? And uh, it is everywhere, right? While politics would typically think of Tallahassee or DC or our local governments, Mm -hmm. uh, policy is everywhere. Policy right. is even in your in your own household, you would see that 
kids will have a curfew. That's a policy that is in place in their household. Is the way we operate our everyday lives. That's Did right. I hear you correctly? Yeah. That's right. Correctly? Yeah, that's right. I mean, when it comes to you know things like education, all the way down to the number of students in a classroom which is actually based on a policy. It's a policy that has been supported by Florida voters and actually is part of the law and part of the constitution in our state. Policy as it relates to what students are going to be eligible for scholarships when they pursue higher education, they get a post-secondary degree or they get a, a career certification. Are they eligible for bright futures? You know, this is all part of policy that's set in this case in Tallahassee in state government and it can have a real impact on people's lives. And I love that you mentioned that because my next question for you would be why does policy matter? We know why politics matter. We know that we need to vote and we need to elect someone who represents our voice. But why does policy matters and why should our listeners get involved with policymaking process? Well, because it shapes our daily lives, you know, from the moment we get out of bed in the morning and get ready for work and have to face really, really bad traffic, depending on what side of town you live on. That's policy that's set as it relates to how do we grow our communities? Do we have smart growth that is established at the city and county level that accounts for traffic, transportation, infrastructure, clean water, to when they arrive at work, you know, is there is their business or their employer regulated by a state or local policy that, for example, sets a minimum wage or sets a minimum of required number of benefits or available benefits as part of the job? I mean, policy as it is established at the local, state, and federal level, shapes almost every part of our daily lives. And as part of our daily lives, sexual and reproductive health is an important component of health. We have heard here in the, in the podcast, in previous episodes about researchers and clinicians and the wonderful work that our community advocates are doing out there. Why does policy matter when it comes to sexual and reproductive health? Well, and this is what's getting down to our private lives and our individual freedoms to really make our own decisions and be our authentic selves. Right now in the year 2022 here in Florida, we're hearing a lot about how sexual and reproductive health policy is impacting so many different communities. We just have seen the news this week of the leaked Supreme Court uh, opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade. We can talk about the immediate policy impact that this would have on the lives of more than 30 million women who live in the more than two dozen states that would immediately ban all abortion without exceptions the day Roe falls. But you also think about what can it mean for the future, for other rights that have been established by the court that may now be up for reconsideration and a reversal of what has already been understood and accepted as precedent and the law. For example, marriage equality. We saw so much conversation since this leaked Supreme Court 
opinion about what it means for the freedom of individuals to marry because Justice Alito said in the draft document that if a right is not expressly mentioned in the Constitution, then perhaps it should be one that is decided by the states, that that the states decide, you know, who has those rights and who doesn't. And that jeopardizes a lot of the progress that we have made on issues separate from abortion. The right to privacy, the constitutional right to privacy, which, by the way, we do have here in the state of Florida. That's another layer of protection that exists here in the Sunshine State impacts so much more than just abortion and reproductive rights. Thank you for that great overview. And while the Supreme Court leak happens all the way in D.C., you have been actively working here in Florida, in Tallahassee specifically, and in your district on some policy on sexual and reproductive health as well. Can you walk our listeners to any bill that relates to sexual reproductive health that you have either proposed or opposed, and for everybody to have an illustration of what's the process behind that? Sure. Well, when it comes to, of course, how a bill becomes a law, I think everyone has seen the Schoolhouse Rock video, uh, I'm a Little Bill on Capitol Hill. I mean, that works the same virtually in Tallahassee. It really is the same thing. You have to pass a bill out of the state house, the state senate. It has to be identical. Otherwise, they have to be conferenced, and then the governor has to sign it into law. But, you know, what I have learned in my public service is that it's important whenever we're proposing bills, when we're creating legislative proposals, which we are wanting to become policy, that we actually partner with folks who are directly impacted, that we work with groups on the ground to understand, well, first of all, what are the needs? Is there a new law that should be created in order to uh, meet a stated goal that will benefit everyone. For for example, for years in Florida, we had been fighting and are fighting still to this day against the epidemic of HIV. Florida continues to be the number one state in the country for new HIV transmissions. And there's a number of reasons why. Because of the fact that we don't have as robust of a, a testing program here in the state of Florida, then we can't really fully embrace a treatment as prevention program, which is you test someone, you realize they are HIV positive, and you immediately get them into treatment so that they can become undetectable once they are on antiretroviral medication and they literally cannot transmit HIV to their sexual partner once once they reach an undetectable viral load. So what can we do as a state to create a policy to help with that, to help reduce new HIV transmissions? Well, I mean, we can certainly invest in PrEP and PEP access. I remember when I was first elected to the Florida House of Representatives, we had to really lean in on educating not just the public, but lawmakers themselves who didn't know what PEP and PrEP were. They didn't realize that folks, as part of their HIV prevention strategy, could actually take PrEP 
to avoid HIV transmission if they're in a high-risk population. But many high-risk populations, as we know, are also not able to afford access to this medication. So it was about creating government programs that would make this medication available for free or at a much more reduced rate through our local county health departments so that we can really tackle the epidemic of HIV in the state. We made some progress. We also enacted clean needle exchange programs to also help curb transmissions, but there's so much more that can be done. And I know that partnering with impacted groups on the ground who understand these issues has been really key to helping establish good policy for the state of Florida. So I love how you have walked us through the process of research, data, data-driven ideas, and how your constituents actually gather those and establish the need for policy in the area. So that was a great illustration of the whole process on how we develop policy, which is So we typically think of, of uh, you, Representative, in uh, Tallahassee in the House speaking, but there's a whole process before that, and there's a whole process after that. Once a bill gets signed into a law, and then there's policy to actually adapt that law that trickles into your actual, into everyone's community, right? Sure, absolutely. And it's kind of multifaceted as far as what policy advocacy looks like. In my case, you know, we are in the minority in Tallahassee, meaning I'm a member of the Democratic Party. Republicans are in the majority. It's a lot more challenging for us to be able to create policy at the state level when we're in the minority. But we can also influence policy, not just through government, but also through um, corporate accountability. You know, if we're talking still just about even what we just discussed, which is the epidemic of HIV that continues in the state of Florida and lack of access to things like PEP or PrEP, Years ago, I actually engaged in a corporate accountability campaign against public supermarkets because we discovered in 2017 that they had basically pulled PrEP and PEP from their list of available therapies for their employees because they had religious and moral objections to PEP and PrEP. And so we basically held them accountable on social media, held meetings with publics. Why are you denying the ability of your employees to access PEP and PrEP through their healthcare benefits? And eventually they reversed their policy through that advocacy. They felt enough public pressure as a result of our efforts to reinstate access to PEP and PrEP for those employees at Publix, which made a big difference because, again, we know Florida is number one in the nation for new HIV transmissions, but Publix is also one of the largest private employers in the state of Florida, and they have a moral responsibility to be uh, partnering with government in our efforts to, to end the HIV epidemic, and they can do this through their own policies in corporate America. And I like how this conversation has focused on your efforts as a mediator between your constituents and policymaking process. And hopefully that also 
got our listeners a little more interested in being active out there. Representative Smith, what resources are available to our listeners who would like to get involved in the policymaking process? So I remember when I first got into politics, I didn't know how to make the leap. And it's because I felt like I didn't have the answers to exactly that question that you posed. How do I get involved in the policy making process? How do I make an impact on the issues that are, are making a difference in our lives on a daily basis? And the advice I got from a good friend at the time was get involved and volunteer with some civic-minded, non-for-profit organizations that are doing the work that you care about because then you'll be able to start becoming engaged. You'll start getting their notifications on which state reps and senators to reach out to about policy. They'll tell you about community events they're having and forums where you can participate and promote policy. And so I started volunteering for organizations like Planned Parenthood and Equality Florida and Organizing for America. And before I knew it, I went from being a manager at the men's warehouse for eight years to suddenly being perceived by folks in the community as a community organizer just through volunteerism and showing up. And that's what I would recommend people do if they want to get involved in setting policy, shaping policy, advocating for policy in the sexual health and reproductive health space, volunteer for organizations like Planned Parenthood and others who are directly engaged in this work. I use just one example, but there's there's so many different organizations that can bring that advocacy to you if you're willing to set the time aside to be engaged. That's a wonderful advice, and we can never stress enough how important it is to volunteer in the community and for causes that we all care about. Within your office, Representative Smith, to wrap up the conversation, say our our listeners are within your district and you're, and there are a lot of your constituents here. Right. Uh, what if they're interested in uh, engaging with you and your staff into ideas and policy making to improve the sure. district and the state? Well, they can always reach out to our office. Now, I'm very easily accessible on social media. People can find me actually at Carlos G. Smith on Twitter and Instagram. Of course, I always have a Facebook page as well. That's Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith. But they can also reach out directly to my office. We are off of Goldenrod and University, and our phone number is 407-681-5433. Or they can just go to myfloridahouse.gov and find my member page on there where all the contact information is. Meet with your state rep. Give me feedback. Give me input. We love meeting with our constituents, whether it be virtually or in the office, to hear you know, what are the issues impacting them so that we can incorporate that into our policy agenda. We have heard in other episodes that you can only correct what has been evaluated, right? So that feedback, I can only imagine that is so important to you as well. Representative Smith, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and to speak to our listeners here at the Sex Cafe podcast.
To continue our conversation, let's talk with Representative Anna Escamani from Florida House District 47. Today with me at the Sex Cafe podcast, I have the pleasure of interviewing one of my favorite people in UCF and in Orlando area. I will let her introduce herself and tell me a little bit about what she does in her community. Well, thanks so much for having me. I am so honored to be with you and Many folks know me as the state house representative for District 47, the Florida State Legislature, um, but I am also a longtime UCF graduate and now PhD student at the College of Education and Community Innovation. And I used to work at Planned Parenthood before I ran for office. And so I have a long history in sexual health education advocacy, and I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, I would like to get started by asking, people often think of policy and politics as one and the same. How are they similar and how are they different? That's a great question. They're very, they're very different though they do intersect. So when I think about policy, I'm, I think about solutions. How do we solve problems? How do we look at data? and evidence-based research, peer-reviewed studies? How do we interact with interviewing community members to understand what are their challenges? And proposing solutions within, whether it's a local government, a state government, or federal government to solve those problems. And then policy is also about the operalization of those components. So once you have policy written, How is it actually implemented? How is it operational? Politics is a lot more about power. And politics is process in which policy can't even be considered. If you don't have the right politics, the best policy will never even move. And so they have to intersect. And there's some great political theories out there that try to analyze the relationship between policy windows and political moments, but they definitely are different. And I think you have a lot of folks who are super good at policy, but hate the politics or don't know how to leverage the politics. And then you have some folks who are just completely political and don't care about good policy. So it's hard to find those folks that are able to master both. It's, it's finding that perfect balance, right? That little... Goldilocks zone. And it is important then to tell our listeners that is not necessarily what happens only in DC, only in Tallahassee. Policy actually affects everyone's life every day. And it takes, you know, the workplace, it takes the family. As a matter of fact, households have policies, right? You don't, you have a curfew. That's part of a policy. And that's part of what you do every day and how you operate every day. What are the rules of the ground rules, if, if you may. Now, why we say people don't want to get involved in politics, they don't want to get involved in policy making processes. Why should they? Why does policy matter? Well, you kind of alluded to it already, right? The notion that it policy impacts your everyday existence should motivate you to want to better understand it. And of course, interact with that process and whatever ability you have. You know, whether you are, I mean, let's hone in on the conversations within this podcast, right? If we're going to talk about sexual and reproductive health and access to preventative health, 
access to contraception, access to learning about consent, but also even just having a clear path to seek justice if you are a survivor of sexual assault. All of that's tied to policy. And I think what always pains me is a lot of folks don't realize that until they're in that moment where they are faced with really bad policy or policy that's inequitable or policy is not being equally applied. That's when they realize my life is impacted by policy. It's at the point where it's too late because you, you never had a chance to actually try to shape it or reform it to be as inclusive and accurate in its application and so forth. But it, it really does impact every part of your life. Every issue you can think of is tied to some sort of policy. I mean, something as you know elementary as clean air and clean water are tied to policy decisions all the way to what you pay in taxes. And so it's just a big part of your life. And even if you don't know it, you're, you're touching it every day. That makes a lot of sense. And hopefully that will get people involved into the issues that they're passionate about, whether they're sexual and reproductive or not. But now coming to the topic of the podcast, indeed, let's talk a little bit about sexual reproductive health and policy. Because in the podcast so far, we have listened from clinicians, we have listened from researchers, we have listened from community advocates, but we have had some requests to talk a little bit about policy and why does policy matter? And it's around perfect timing right now. There's a lot of bills circulating. There's some of them have passed. Some of them are, we have heard about the leaks of the Supreme Court draft decision on Roe v. Wade. So can you please share with us, just as an illustration, any sexual reproductive health bill that you have have perhaps proposed or opposed and what's the process for to walk our listeners with how does it go that you get to stand and defend it or oppose it for sure i mean there is such a trend in this country and in florida to be anti-informed and anti-education and whether it's efforts to silence conversations on race and class and gender or it's attempting to completely eliminate even the identification that LGBTQ plus people exist, all the way to what has been a status quo policy in Florida of not requiring any type of sexual health education in our schools. You know, Florida's standard on sex ed, if you can even call it that, is emphasize absence only as your only source of information when it comes to reproductive and sexual health. It could be faith-based. It can be hetero. And so, you know, only emphasizing marriage between a man and a woman, not even again, identifying the fact that there are different family units out there. And it really does set an uneven playing field, you know, because, because if you grew up in that type of environment and don't have an engaged family that can teach you some of these preventative and really important just safety lessons, then you're going to potentially be in a situation that's either going to lead to risky activity or or even like like completely be in, in danger. And it reminds me of just my own life growing up. You know, I grew up as a daughter of immigrants. My parents were both immigrants from Iran. And my mom passed away when I was 13 years old. And she passed away from a long fight with cancer. 
which is something that, you know, I am still grieving to this day. And she passed away before my period even started. So I had to figure out a lot of just basic sex health moments on my own. Luckily, I have a twin sister. So we were able to try to support one another. But there were many, many days where I did not have access to pads and tampons. And I was so embarrassed and didn't even have the confidence or the comfort to ask for help or talk about it because I felt so shame that my body was even going through these changes and I didn't know what to do with it. And so when I look back at those moments in my, my adolescence and what was happening in my school system, the lack of education was stunning. I mean, I had an absence only instructor the summer of 2006. And she basically told all of us that having sex before marriage was committing a sin. And then she used gum as an example in the exercise, asking a young, a young man in the front if he wanted a stick of gum. And before she gave it to him, she put it in her, her mouth and she chewed it. And then took it out and said, now do you want it? Comparing that you stick of gum to a young woman who's already had sex. I mean, it was like the grossest thing to, to say and to slut shame women in the space. And that was my education, right? And, and, and I went looking for answers. And that's where I found Planned Parenthood as a source of accurate, age-appropriate, and comprehensive support. But, you know, right now in Florida, the standard is that the bar was already low, and now it's being lowered even farther. And so, you know, some of the bills that I've, I have filed, I've supported legislation around uh, the Healthy Adolescence Act to essentially put into place age-appropriate, comprehensive, evidence-based reproductive health education that, of course, parents can opt out of. And, of course, you know, curriculum has to be posted on school district website. So there's a lot of transparency here. But the point is to ensure that there's just baseline education on safety and prevention, which means, you know, if we're talking to younger audiences, we're talking about good touch, bad touch. We're talking about what to do if someone touches you inappropriately and how do you seek support in that situation. We're teaching about consent. And we are teaching about as you get older and it's more appropriate around HIV prevention, STI prevention, pregnancy prevention. Because again, these are the lessons that not only help young people feel empowered and informed to make the right decisions, but it actually can lead to young people abstaining from sexual activity because they realize what the consequences are. And so again, what we've seen in Florida is that if we do accomplish reaching a comprehensive sexual health education programming, it's often done at a county by county level. Because like I said, the state of Florida has been so archaic and draconian. And now with this hyper-conservative attack on free speech and on, on educational curriculum, I feel like we're even going backwards in making any type of uh, drives in some of these policy goals. Absolutely. And in the podcast, we have actually heard some interesting examples of saying, yes, there's no doubt that abstinence does work in preventing pregnancy and in preventing sexually transmitted infections. But some of our guests have actually interestingly compared it to a diet saying, you know, not eating at all definitely works for losing weight. But if at some point you make the decision of starting eating because you have the urge, because you have the need, because you have the curiosity of new and tasty foods that you want to explore, then here is a toolbox on how you do that safely. How do you 
stay healthy in the process. And uh, yes, definitely abstinence should be taught as, as one element of a toolbox, right? Of a series of steps that a person can take to stay healthy. Absence is the most effective tool, you know, in prevention when it comes to pregnancy and sexually transmitted infections. But as you as you noted, it's not always the most realistic option for people. And that's why in an age-appropriate way, there is there there is evidence-based curriculum to ensure that you know how to make safe and informed decisions. And you also realize that consent can be taken away. You know, to this day, I am so shocked by how many people, well-informed, well-meaning people do not understand the definition of consent. And they still use the rhetoric of no means no versus enthusiastic yes. And that's really alarming, you know, like the fact that well-informed adults, you know, are still kind of hang on to the no means no concept where, again, you might not be in a position to even say no because perhaps you are under the influence of something. And so, again, like there's just such a need for for policy conversations on this and new policy to help it, uh, inform young people and and candidly adults on these safety requirements. And it, it does remind me of UCF. I mean, I remember when I started my grad program at UCF, they had just rolled out like new consent education. And I know that that's been a constant effort on college campuses too, especially with Title IX, to ensure that these programs are accessible and acquired and that students are safe and can feel that they have a path to go when they experience any type of sexual harassment or assault. But again, there's just so much need for growth in these areas. And unfortunately, the full legislature is, is not championing it by any means. And as you explained in the process of, you know, your passion for comprehensive sex education in Florida and how do you review the evidence, how do you listen to your constituents on the process of making policy and, and promoting bills and promoting local efforts, hopefully that will spark some interest in your constituents and everybody else in Florida. So in case someone is interested in participating in this democracy of ours, what resources are available out there, for example, for constituents in your district? Yes, I love this question. I mean, so first of all, it is so important to know who your local elected officials are, because so much attention goes to what's happening in the White House and in Congress. And I totally understand why. I mean, there there's a lot that Congress can be doing right now to better improve the lives of every American. But you have to also pay attention to your state senator, your state representative, which represents you in the case of Florida in Tallahassee during a part-time legislature, which means we're only in Tallahassee for about, you know, four, four months of the year, but also your school board members, also your county commissioners, your city council members, your constitutional officers, you know, all are, all these are folks that their jobs impact your life. So you first want to know who they are, what their values are, and follow them online and be able to reach out to the correct elected official based on whatever issue that you're focused on. And then if you want to center in on reproductive health policy, you know, I think it's first important to identify organizations who might reflect your values that you can get more plugged into. You know, I, as I mentioned earlier, I worked at Planned Parenthood for six years before I ran for office. 
I do think if you care about sexual health education and access to reproductive health, that Planned Parenthood is such a great organization to tap into. Not the only one. You know, we have so many great organizations, especially in Central Florida, who do work on LGBTQ plus focused spaces that also do amazing education and testing and treatment of different STIs, including HIV. So to think about the center, they're amazing and provide rapid HIV testing. We have Bliss, we have Spectrum, we have Hope and Help. We have so many amazing organizations that center on providing the most up-to-date information on reproductive health education to those who walk into their doors. And they need volunteers. They also do advocacy in the legislature, not just on policy, but also on funding. I think Equality Florida is another great partner to tap into as well. And so there's there's a lot of good organizations that you can get involved with that can kind of help shepherd your civic engagement. And then, of course, if you have the capacity to do your own research and you know follow bills yourself, even better. But I know that a lot of folks, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming, and it's good to first tap into one of these organizations and get your feet wet and then see where it takes you from there. Absolutely. And again, as we stated at the beginning, we typically think of policymaking as Tallahassee or D.C. only, but your local governments definitely will have some saying. And you did mention some resources in the community, and they actually operate because of policy, right? Because there's a policy in place that actually makes them work, authorizes them to work, and funds part of the effort that they do. Recently, we have folks from QLatinX here in the podcast recording, and they actually said something that stuck with me, that folks can contribute with the three T's, with either their time, their talent, or their treasure. They can make donations, they can volunteer their time, or they can volunteer their expertise and what they have to offer for the community. Because democracy is not only going to vote every every November or every August, right? Is getting out there and doing your work. Representative Eskamani, any last words of wisdom for our listeners who may be interested in the process of policy making? I would stress that none of this can happen overnight. And it can feel really draining and overwhelming because especially if we're in research and academics, like we know what the evidence is telling us. And so it can feel really, really, really like hair pulling out of your head when you have these policy ideas, you know what needs to happen, and yet the politics, the lawmakers, those in the place of decision are not heeding those concerns or listening to those warnings. I mean, right now, Florida is spending so much time on culture wars, and yet we literally have concerns with syphilis outbreaks, and we need to ensure that we have more access to walk-in clinics, and that we're also addressing the needs within every type of community. And some of these communities are hyper-criminalized. You know, I'm thinking about our consexual sex workers who need access to healthcare, and yet there's a fear that if they seek it, they might be incarcerated for it. So it can just be really overwhelming when we cannot solve these problems because of the system around us. But I just encourage folks to not lose sight to stay the course and uh, realize that none of this can happen with a quick burst of energy or enthusiasm. It has to be a consistent persistence for something greater than ourselves. 
So don't lose sight of that, but definitely know we can work stronger in coalition. And so to find your village and to keep doing that work together. Thank you so much for your time, Representative Eskamani. It has been a pleasure chatting with you about sexual reproductive health. Today, we covered the importance of policy and policymaking in everyday sexual and reproductive health. We hope that these conversations have opened your curiosity and that you would consider joining your local government in the process of policymaking. Thank you for joining us in the Sex Cafe podcast, and we look forward for more interesting topics and interviews. You can go back to any prior episodes that have been posted, and you can follow us on social media to stay tuned for new releases. Our social media are at Sex Cafe Podcast. And we have presence in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We look forward to hear more from you. 